The church in Corinth is in a bit of a mess. Paul, you remember, he's a serial church planter. He established the church in Corinth. He went on to pastor it for around 18 months. That's very dear to his heart. But now in his absence, leaders of different house churches are popping up here, there and everywhere, resulting in people vying for allegiances and contending that their leader is the greatest, contending that their leader is the true source of some special wisdom and knowledge. These are a bit like the first ever super spiritual Christian influencers. But before you get too judgy or anything like that, it's good for us to reflect for a moment about where we get our wisdom from. What is the source of our wisdom? Is it the courier mail or perhaps it's someone you follow on Instagram or a blog that you pay attention to? Or maybe, if you're really honest, the main source of your wisdom is yourself. This is what Paul is addressing. And the effect is really significant. Because not only is it tearing away people, tearing away from the fabric of the unity together in Christ, but it's also leading people away from their ultimate trust being in Jesus. These influences have taken what Paul has taught them, the good news, and then they've built this superstructure all around it with things that really aren't necessary. Now, we've already seen Paul's taken masterfully a wrecking ball to this whole proposition. He's pointing out how nonsense it is to somehow elevate a particular leader over Jesus, saying, is Christ divided? Was I crucified for you? And of course, the answer is obvious. The answer is no, you weren't Paul. Only Jesus was crucified. So make him the focus. Make Jesus the foundation upon which you build your life. It's not Team Paul or Team Apollos or Team Adam, but Team Jesus. Paul saying, chapter 2, verse 2, just before where we pick up today, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. True wisdom is not found in human leaders. True wisdom is found in the cross of Christ. That's where we landed last week. Paul wants the Corinthians to see that there are two types of wisdom in the world, but there's only one of them if we are to be mature and maturing that we should seek. So let's look at these two parts of what real wisdom is and how we have access to it. The the true nature of wisdom received in the power of God's Spirit. So first, the true nature of wisdom, verse 6. That's where we'll pick up if you'd look with me in your Bibles, please. Uh, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Hear what Paul is saying that even though God's wisdom demonstrated through the cross may look and may even continue to look foolish to some, make no mistake, it's not just for people who are sort of willing to believe anything. It's not just for people who give it no thought and then go along with whatever they're told. It's not for people who are willing to believe six impossible things before breakfast. It's a message 
spoken among the mature. The Corinthians could feel pretty attracted by this whole notion. They could think, oh yes, this is another inner circle, inner group to which we could belong. They might even think that Paul is giving them a massive compliment of how mature they are. But we'll see that the mark of maturity is not the super spiritual, the super smart, or the super good, but those who have been reconciled to God through the cross of Christ. So what is the the shape of this wisdom, this message of wisdom? Well, Paul shows us both what it is and what it isn't. So let's start with the, the negative of what it isn't. True wisdom, Paul says, is not of or it does not stem from this age or rulers of this age. When Paul uses that phrase, you'll see it in your Bibles, that phrase, wisdom of this age or rulers of this age, he's likely not only referring to the leaders of the time, so you might think in the Corinthians local sphere, that might have been some of the religious leaders that they were tempted to follow and elevate, in the socio-political sphere of the time of the Corinthians, it could have been people like Pilate and, and Herod. But that reference, more broadly, is to a wisdom that comes from a world that is entrapped by powers and principalities, by Satan and evil, that prevents us from seeing clearly who Jesus is. The the type of wisdom that is so devoid of substance that in the words of one commentator said it resulted in the highest religion and the best government that the world had ever seen getting together to execute the Lord of glory. Yet in God's extraordinary wisdom, whilst they set out to stop Jesus, they were actually part of accomplishing the very plans of God. And so not only does such a wisdom of the world result in disastrous decisions, but Paul says it's a type of wisdom that is, verse 6, coming to nothing. It's a wisdom with a dead end. So often in our very prosperous Western culture, we can often be lulled into a false sense of thinking that our world is on an upward trajectory, that humanity is progressing, and that somehow, with our brilliant collective social capital that we have got this. We're going to get it sorted. We can get the world in order. Sometimes we can buy into that, of course, because it's really ingrained into our culture. Over 200 years ago, Immanuel Kant, the, uh, one of the very central thinkers of the Enlightenment, of course, the movement, and uh, as someone who really has enormously influenced our culture and our way of thinking was so positive in his view of humanity that that humanity can have its wisdom together and get the whole world sorted, that this is what he wrote and foresaw. He said, gradually violence on the part of the powers will diminish and obedience to the laws will increase. There will arise in the body politic perhaps more charity and less strife in lawsuits, more reliability in keeping one's word partly out of a love of honour, partly out of well-understood self-interest. And eventually, wrote this 200 years ago, and eventually, this will also extend to nations in their external relations toward one another. Well, it doesn't take too much of an assessment to see that we're not there. Because the problem is that regardless of all the improvements that we might make, there's a deeper problem of sin 
that we just can't resolve on our own. That's what Paul effectively is saying, in fact, that not ultimately will that type of wisdom that says we've got all this in hand fail, but the type of wisdom that rejects Jesus has no future. Paul says it's coming to nothing. Now, on an individual level, on an individual leadership level, that's, that's evident. For, for leaders, fail, leave or die. But on a much grander scale, the wisdom of our world just doesn't have a future that will last in its own strength. That despite the temptation, even in the face of contradictory evidence, to think that we are on this upward trajectory, the Bible says that actually without God, that's just not true. But in contrast to a worldly wisdom, a wisdom that comes from God, a wisdom that recognises the power of the crucified Jesus, the trajectory of such a wisdom is not down, but its destiny is glory. It's the opposite trajectory of worldly wisdom. So we pick up partway through verse 9 of chapter 2. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has repaired for those who love him. Now, if you've been really busy over the last weeks preparing amazing, glorious Mother Day presents for special loved ones in your life, you might think they have no idea what we've prepared for them. It's going to be incredible. Well, it just pales in comparison. It's the most phenomenal image that God, in his incredible love and wisdom, destined even before the beginning of time, in the knowledge that we would rebel and seek our own rule above his own, that he would make a way that we might be part of a glorious future with him. It's not God loves you so much that he wants you to be enabled to live your best life. Not God has a wonderful plan full of prosperity and comfort. But God loves you so much that he has prepared a future so glorious and wonderful in its nature that is utterly incomprehensible to us right now it's better than we ever dared to dream or imagine. The cross of Christ might look like foolishness to the world, but it's through the cross of Christ that God has dealt with sin and made a glorious future possible for us. And even though the nature of that glorious future is incomprehensible, the way we take hold of that future because of Jesus is totally within our reach. We are, we are not the authors of our, our future, but Jesus has forged a way through the cross. And so we know in verse 7, when Paul says that God's wisdom was a mystery that was uh, hidden, he doesn't mean that somehow God's grace is a riddle or a puzzle to be solved. This is not Paul having gone somewhere, done a, a public sermon and go, now to a small group, let me take you out back and let me tell you the really secret good stuff that only a few can know. Uh, nor does he mean that the good news of Jesus is beyond our comprehension but he's saying that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, it is now plain to see. Here the Corinthians are, they're, they're longing for secret and special spiritual knowledge. They want to be in the inner circle, in some privileged spiritual group. And so Paul is drawing them in. He's saying, well, hey, church in Corinth, let me tell you the biggest secret of them all. That actually God's wisdom for salvation it's been made plain to see. It's been blown out of the water. 
And the way that you access these things is not according to the latest guru, it's not by belonging to a special group that you, you are part of, it's not going to the most elite university in the world, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 10, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. Of course, that's where Paul started back, just before where we picked up today in verse 4. So if you look at me, chapter 2, verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. When Paul speaks of his preaching with a demonstration of the Spirit's power as the means by which we would be convicted of the news of the cross, he's probably not talking about miracles here. That's how we can kind of read this. He's not talking about signs and wonders being the basis on which we would be convicted and come to be convinced of the news of Jesus. Uh, Not only does Paul use a very different word for power in those instances about signs and wonders, but actually miracles were no surety that people would believe. There were people who would do miracles but were false teachers. Jesus warned the disciples of that. And even, of course, some people who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, well, still some did not come to believe. Now, the demonstration of power that Paul is referring to here is the way in which the power of the cross has been declared to us. Verse 10. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. Uh, The image here is kind of mind-blowing, that God hasn't left us guessing. This is not like one of those great relational moments when communication breaks down between two people, only for one person to eventually erupt with a phrase along the lines of, how could I possibly know what you're thinking? I'm not a mind reader. Well, incredibly, we're told here, we can know God's thoughts because God has told us. None is declared in creation to his people of old and his son coming to earth in the reception of his word, but also in the power of his Holy Spirit. It's important to understand that when Paul says us here in verse 12, but the spirit who is from God, so that we understand what God has freely given us, he's not saying that they've been given every piece of knowledge in the world, but the things concerning Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. But when he says us, what he's likely referring to is the special revelation of Jesus to the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit, which we now have recorded and have received in the scriptures. Of course, that's exactly what Jesus promised to the disciples, that when he leaves, that we'd send his spirit to teach them. And so you might recall John chapter 16, Jesus saying, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he'll receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. It is the most amazing image. The spirit 
was at work in a particular way in the life of the apostles, just as Jesus promised. The Spirit of God speaking into the apostles. The Spirit of God enabling the apostles to understand. The Spirit of God empowering the apostles to proclaim. But not only was the Spirit at work in the apostles in a specific way, but the Spirit is also at work in a general way in the life of all believers, not bringing us special knowledge about God that is outside the Scriptures, but illuminating our hearts and minds in order that we'd understand, that we'd get it. The postmodern world says there's no truth. Our culture says that we're the authors of truth. But the Bible says, no, God. God is the source of truth. And through his Holy Spirit, spoken to the apostles, received in the scriptures, he has made his wisdom known and also helps us to understand. How can we possibly understand and get the gospel? Why can we have an aha moment and see who Jesus is? Only by God's Spirit at work. Without the Spirit, we're tone deaf. Paul says, verse 14, the, spirit without, the, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. It's why we shouldn't be surprised when our friends or our colleagues who are not yet followers of Jesus, our loved ones, they don't understand the decisions and priorities we make as followers of Jesus. That should actually spur us on. It should motivate us to pray that the Spirit of God would be at work opening their hearts. It should spur us on to invite them along to Alpha, which starts just this week, that they might come to understand that God's wisdom, the wisdom of the cross, might become theirs. It also means that if you're a believer, we have no cause for arrogance. We haven't come to faith because of our prowess or goodness or intellect, but only by the grace of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. It means that the Spirit of God enjoins us in incredible intimacy with God. It means that the Spirit is at work leading us, shaping us, growing us. It means that when we open up God's Word, we're not doing it on our own, but the Spirit is at work helping us to understand. It means that when we're sharing the good news on whatever front line we might be, it's not us trying to strong-arm the situation. It's not us trying to jump into that person's heart or mind to convince them. But we're simply participating in how the Spirit of God is at work. Now, if you're here today and you don't yet count yourself as a follower of Jesus, you hear this and you think, well, look, I've heard the gospel. I've asked lots of questions, but I still just don't believe. I still just don't get it. I want to encourage you today to pray a really simple prayer. Have the courage to pray this prayer. God, please help me in my unbelief. Please be at work in my heart. Spirit, please have your way with me. If you don't yet count yourself as a follower of Jesus, would you pray that prayer? God wants you to understand his love poured out on the cross. God wants you to receive that good news. And he's even at work in the power of his spirit that we might come to know the very thoughts that he chooses to share with us. 
Now, that, of course, doesn't mean we disengage our minds or should abandon learning about the gospel or stop investigating the claims of Jesus. But it does mean that the work of coming to understand the good news is not just academic. It's also phenomenally personal. We can so often wonder what other people in our lives are thinking. I have lots of moments throughout my week where I'm wondering what my three-year-old was thinking. But here we're promised help to know the very mind of Christ. I sometimes feel like following Jesus is a bit like being at the beach when you're in the water. That when you take your eyes off the flags, it doesn't take long before the current has taken you away from where you're meant to be. God, in his grace, has revealed the wisdom of the cross to us. Why would we neglect that? Why would we ignore that gift? We should be praying that in the power of the Holy Spirit, that God would give us wisdom, that God would grow in us the very mind of Christ. Wherever you might be this week, on whatever front line, about relationships, responding to problems, speaking to people, attitudes to my other people or to myself, decisions that I need to make, distinguishing between false teaching, understanding God's word. As the people of God, let's invite the Holy Spirit to shape us day by day, moment by moment, on every one of our front lines. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in your extraordinary generosity that you have revealed your wisdom and your grace through the cross. Lord, we thank you that whilst the cross looks like foolishness to the world, that is actually the wisdom and genius of you. Lord, we thank you that it's through the cross that a, a way has been paved that we might be saved that the world is not a dead end, but that there is a glorious hope that is incomprehensible in its goodness. Lord, may we never take for granted the gift of the Spirit that you give and trust to all who believe, that we might keep running to you, that your Spirit would search the depths of our hearts, that we would search out the Spirit, Lord, and that you would shape the decisions, the conversations, the relationships, the priorities, our proclamation, everything, that it might be a keeping in step with you and you alone. Lord, thank you so much in the power of your spirit that you have given us the mind of Christ. May that be reflected in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.